This episode of the Klaus to the Heart podcast has been rated PG-14. Some language and dialogue may not be suitable for members of the family under 14 years of age. You want to get raw? Let's get raw. This is the Klaus to the Heart. Klaus to the Heart. Klaus to the Heart podcast. We are going to talk about things that affect everyday life. Some of it you're going to agree with, some of it you're not. You're damn right I'm fired up because this is a topic worth being fired up about. There is silver lining in just about anything. You just have to look for it because it's not always going to be at the forefront. This is the Klaus to the Heart podcast. Podcast. This is the Klaus to the Heart podcast powered by Anchor.fm. Hey, happy holidays and welcome to a very special edition of the Klaus to the Heart podcast powered by Anchor.fm. And it's a it's a pretty busy week for all of us this week. It is Christmas week. Uh, as this show drops, uh, Christmas is just a few days away. And, um, and stemming from kind of the feedback that I got from last week's episode and you know, some of the controversy that ensued from, from, that, from that particular uh, topic, I guess, for the lack of a better term, I decided I was going to dial it back a little bit this week because... We don't want to be all yelling and screaming and, you know, having a bunch of negativity, you know, in our, in our, in our surroundings, I guess. Um, we wanted to kind of do a kind of a lighter topic. I wasn't sure up until, um, about a day or two ago what I was going to talk about. So, uh, with that, let me just tell you right out of the gate that this is going to be a, wrestling related topic it had it's been a while since i've done um a full-blown wrestling related show and um you know more specifically another chapter in the history of the michigan wrestling organization which is the which is the uh, promotion that i have owned and operated since 1994 and um I looked at the calendar and I realized that on the day that this this episode drops is December the 22nd. Now, December the 22nd holds um, a lot of history for the MWO in terms of um, our annual Christmas Clash Supercard. Now, uh, for those who haven't listened to any previous uh, MWO history related uh, a- episodes. A supercard, what I call a supercard, would be the equivalent of of our pay per view if we were on if we had pay per view capabilities. It's one of those shows we we do it every year, and you know there's a lot of work, there's a lot of anticipation that goes into these shows, and. Um, December the 22nd has historically been a, a pretty big day 
for the annals of our history books. And considering that it's been a while since we've done a a deep dive into the history of the MWO or a chapter of, of our history books, um, I figured today was as good of a day as any because, of course, MWO fans know that we have, we were not able to do Christmas Clash this year because of you know COVID-19 and all the restrictions and other challenges that have come into play in terms of venues and things of this nature. Uh, so we decided that we were going to call an audible this week and we are going to do a deep dive into two installments of Christmas Clash that happened to both take place on December the 22nd. The the first installment that we're going to talk about is going to be well the the inaugural uh a Christmas Clash event. It took place on December the 22nd in 1995 at the Lapeer County Center building and the road to get to this show what is you know when you look back on it it is very much you know snapshots of the very early beginnings of our organization uh we had come off of um a pretty successful debut showing with WrestleRama 1 in um in the spring in April 2 weeks later uh we would make our debut at at the Lapeer County Center building for a big um, fundraiser event f- to help the victims of the, the the domestic terror attack that took place in Oklahoma City at the um, at the federal building there. Uh, if you you know if you're not familiar with that, I would suggest that you take some time, perhaps after the show, and actually Google. Um, the Oklahoma City bombings and everything that that went into play there, but we decided because it was such a mainstream story, and you know it it, it dealt with you know a lot of kids being hurt, you know injured, uh, some with minor scrapes and bruises, other ones very much more significant injuries. And it was something that we decided that we wanted to do. So we had our debut show at the center building. It was our first live event there. And it wound up being a pretty successful event. And we were re- we were able to raise a couple of hundred a, cu- a couple of hundred dollars that we wound up donating to the American Red Cross, which um, you know, they oversee a lot of the disaster relief whenever something catastrophic happens. And uh, the the bombing at the at the federal building in o- in Oklahoma City certainly fit that bill. And because kids were involved with this thing, we decided that uh, we were going to do a fundraiser for it. And we weren't really sure exactly how well it would be received. But I, you know, to our surprise, we drew a um, a very respectable crowd for that event it was called operation oklahoma and um you know we had some we had some decent matches on that card and um it wound up being a successful debut in in the city of lapeer now stemming from that 
we did, you know, it was a no-brainer that we were going to really focus on uh, on dividing our live events between having them at the center building, but also still maintaining a home base at the historic, the original Hadley Town Hall, which had hosted, you know, WrestleRama 1 in April, a big 4th of July event um, later that, that summer. So it was, it was a given. And this was, this was before, um, before we even started doing a, a, a Halloween themed show like Trick or Slam. <coughs> but, um, <coughs> excuse me, coffee went down the wrong hole. Anyhow, um, uh, so we, you know, it was a no-brainer that we wanted to do a Christmas show. We wanted to close out our inaugural year and in in big fashion. So we decided that we were going to have a Christmas-themed supercard. It was going to be called Christmas Clash. And it was going to be held at the Center Building. And uh, it just so happened that uh, de- December the 22nd was available to rent the building that day. And you know we we got the okay from from the the people that rented the building, and it was uh, full steam ahead. So a lot of our smaller shows that we did at the town hall in Hadley essentially set up the storylines for what we were going to do between a huge event on the Fourth of July. And going up until Christmas Clash. Now, in setting up the card for Christmas Clash, uh, we actually got to take the story back a little bit. We have to go back to the 4th of July because it was on that day in front of a standing room only Hadley Town Hall. And man, I'll tell you what, um, it, it, was, it was hotter than hell in that building because there were so many people in there. And, um, you know, when, when you're, when you're wrestling for, you know, first and foremost, you, you know, your body temperature rises, right? Because you're, you know, you're engulfed in this very physical activity plus with a standing room only crowd in inside the hall, we probably, probably exceeded the, the actual allotted, um, attendance and the capacity that was allowed in there but you know we weren't we weren't going to turn people away if they wanted to see the show now it was on that show on the 4th of July that a lot of history was was made on that day we had a new great lace champion crown in the form of the marauder Todd Grossbauer he had actually won what was called uh, the the slammers ball tournament and that was essentially the centerpiece of this event on the 4th of July. It was to crown a new Great Lakes champion. And uh, Grossbauer was already well well established as our number one heel, our number one villain. And, um, you know, he had all the momentum, you know, on his side. And uh, it was an eight-man single elimination tournament. 
that was actually uh, the first match of that tournament was, I mean, I, I still remember this match very, very vividly because it really set the tone for the entire event. Because anytime you, you know, when you're a promoter, especially in the wrestling business, when you are when you are presenting a live event, you want that opening match to be really good. You, that's going to be the the first exposure to your product to a live audience, and it really um, it, it, it's crucial that we have a a good match that kicks off any kind of show. It doesn't matter if it's a um, a televised event for WWE or AEW, or if it's a non-televised house show. You know, you really want to set a good tone with a good match with good workers. We had that in the opening match of this tournament in, in which it was the Crazy Maniac and Johnny Mustang. Now, in real life, uh, they were cousins. So, and... You know they they had grown up to be big wrestling fans, um, and uh, you know when you're wrestling fans, when you're related, when you spend a lot of time together, inevitably, you are going to you know wrestle with one another. So I mean they had all kinds of of experience in in wrestling against one another, and they understood at a very very young age the psychology part of putting on a match because any two yahoos can go into a ring and mimic moves that they see on television. Um, it takes a totally different mindset and, it, and, and, and skill set, really, to apply psychology. Why is this match happening? Why are these guys doing these moves when they're doing them? It's got to make sense. It's got to flow. It's got to tell a story. Because it, in a lot of ways, essentially, professional wrestling and the wrestlers that are embattled in these matches, they're live-action storytellers. And, you know, it's you got to take your audience on a ride if you want them to be invested in what you're doing. Because otherwise, it, it just looks like a live-action vi video game where, where the, the wrestlers in question are actually being, being you know, controlled by an 11-year-old kid that's just hitting buttons for the sake of hitting buttons on, on, on the controller. The Maniac and Mustang, because they knew each other, because they actually took the time to study the art of wrestling, they had good psychology. And it was a no-brainer that we were going to put those two in the opening match in the first round of the tournament. Now, fast forward a little bit, and the Crazy Maniac would be eliminated because of my ill-timed interference. Johnny Mustang had actually aligned himself with, with Grossbauer and his uh, faction that he was forming called Bad Blood. And because of my ill-timed interference, I 
quote-unquote, inadvertently got the Maniac disqualified and hence eliminated from the tournament. Now, this sets up a unique situation because I was scheduled to defend the MWO Championship at the halfway point of the tournament. It was kind of the breaker match. And um, the my original opponent was to be um, a, a, a character called Matt the Monster Taylor. And I don't remember exactly what all happened, but... But, but Taylor was unable to uh, make the show. So I, and I, we didn't find out about this until the day of. And, you know, the 4th of July in Hadley, it, 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 annually, it's their biggest day of the year in terms of people in town. Because they, they had all kinds of different vendors set up and all the all the businesses in downtown Hadley were offering their own gimmicks, their their own sales, their own what whatever services they provided. And, uh, I mean, hundreds of people would, would flock to downtown Hadley, especially for the parade. And we were actually, the MWO was actually featured in the, in the parade to kind of advertise for the event that was going to start immediately following the parade at the town hall. And uh, so I was left without a challenger. I had no opponent. Now, I'm going to peel the curtain back a little bit and tell you that the character of, of the crazy maniac was portrayed, was orchestrated and created by Jason Cloyd. And if you've listened to this show for any length of time, if you have seen the YouTube shows, you know who Jason Cloyd is, and you know that the history, the personal history, and the long-time relationship, friendship that he and I had. And so it was a no-brainer that we were going to put Cloyd's character, even though he just got done wrestling in the tournament. Um, I, I guess I should say that that first-round match probably went no longer than six or seven minutes. Now... He and I, um, you know, because we were best friends, we we wrestled against each other quite a bit whenever we got together, either at his house or mine. And uh, so we knew how to lay out a decent match. Keep in mind, this was 1995. And, you know, the whole initial Hulkamania boom had come and gone. Hogan was actually now wrestling in WCW. And he was still a year out from his famous heel turn that would, in turn, um, create the New World Order. Now, um, now, the Crazy Maniac gimmick was very much influenced by the Ultimate Warrior. Cloyd had, and what he still does to, to, to this day, but back then he stood out because he had an incredible f- physique. You know, he he was he was shredded, he you know, he worked out all, all the time, had had muscles on top of muscles. So he adopted his own design of face paint and the tassels around the biceps and 
the real tight, but you know, bicycle type of of shorts or tights, if, you know, if if you will, he stood out, and he was very popular, very popular, because of the flash, the glitz, the glamour, the the intensity. Like I said, very much influenced by by the Ultimate Warrior. So there, we for the first time. In our, in our company's history, we had a situation where we had babyface versus babyface for the top prize, if you will, of the organization. We looked at this and we approached this as this was our version of Hogan versus Warrior that we would see at WrestleMania 6 in 1990. And that's kind of how we approached the match. Um, so it was the first time that, as as a as a as a performer myself, I didn't garner the majority of the adulation of the fan base. The fans that were in the Hadley Town Hall were legitimately split in allegiance between he and I. Um, there were Crazy Maniac fans, there were Basher fans, and each faction of fans would try to uh, overshout the, the other. Now, it was, it, was, it was a given that on this day with this crowd, and it was actually a, uh, a, 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 a bell time decision because we weren't really sure how we were going to let this whole thing play out um, as far as who was going to go over. And it, I, I swear, it wasn't until we got into the ring and um, we really kind of f- focused on on the crowd and how they were responding that the decision was made at the sound of the opening bell that the Crazy Maniac was going to become the MWO champion. And we 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 did this match and we were in in the midst of this match where the maniac called for a powerbomb spot. Now, Jason and I, the maniac, Jason Cloyd, um we went to school together. And uh we had it was like a physical conditioning class. Um he was kind of trying his hand at, at football and things of this nature, but at, at the core, he was very much um, into bodybuilding. So he would spend a lot of his time in, in the weight room at, at our high school, which we went to, to Lapeer West. Uh, Lapeer West is no longer a thing. Lapeer West and Lapeer East actually consolidated to become one high school. Uh, but back then, it was, there was a Lapeer West and a Lapeer East, and we went to West. So during, you know, our our class time that we were supposed to be in the weight room and working on physical fitness and things of this nature, we would actually um, go outside the weight room, which was kind of caged off, and they had an area where they had the amateur wrestling mats and tumbling mats in there. 
So we would pull a bunch of mats out on the, on the floor, and he and I would sit there during the course of of our period. You know, when we were, when we were supposed to be in this class, we were actually wrestling each other, and um, the amateur wrestling mats came in these great big huge rolls, and when the mats were rolled up, they were every bit of five feet tall. So we would take turns picking each other up and slamming each other in into these mats. Now, anybody who has been involved with amateur wrestling knows, yeah, there there are mats and there's padding in there, but it's a very dense padding. There's not a lot of, it's not like jumping on a bed, you know. There there was, you know, it would still knock the shit out of you if, if you weren't ready for it. <laughs> but um, we got into a competition to see how many times um, he could he could body slam me in a row without stopping and how many times I could power bomb him in a row without stopping. And when we would have these little, little competitions with one another, I could never get past seven power bombs in, in a row. The eighth one... I just, I mean, despite all of my effort, there was no way I could pick his ass up and powerbomb him for that re- for that record-breaking time. Now, let's go back to the 4th of July, and we are in the midst of an MWO heavyweight title match. The two most popular stars in the company, with the crowd at a fevered pitch, legitimate fevered pitch, half cheering for me, the other half cheering for him. It, I mean, people were on their feet watching this thing. It was during the course of this match that I went to, um, we had what's called a double down spot, which I believe was 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 facilitated with a double clothesline, kind of to give ourselves, you know, a few moments to kind of catch our breath because we had been going full till up to that point for a good 10, 10, 12 minutes. So we called for the for the, the double down spot. It was a double clothesline. And we were both slowly but surely making our way back to our feet at the same time. He landed, you know, I he did, you know, your 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 classic bump, you know, a flat back bump. So he was laying on his back. When I had hit the mat, hit the you know the mat of the ring, I landed on my back, but I I did this thing where the momentum kind of shot me up off the mat a, a little bit, and I was able to, we we did this all the time. When I would hit and the recoil would happen, I would actually flip myself in the air and and come crashing back down face first. So I'm laying on my stomach. He's laying on his back. He's he goes to roll over towards me and he said we're breaking the power bomb record and I knew exactly immediately what he was talking about I knew exactly what he wanted and my god the the adrenaline you know feeding off that crowd fevered pitch crowd man loud as all get out um I was very very confident that I was going to be able to to do this. I was going to be able to break this record. 
And um, I mean, the first three or four power bombs were were effortless. Um, be, you know, and, and a lot of it because of his character again, inspired by the warrior. And anybody who's watched an Ultimate Warrior match knows what kind of um, you know what kind of 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 intensity that he brought uh, to his matches. But he also no sold a lot. So every time I would hit him with the power bomb. He would spring right back up and and feed back into a boot to the midsection or a punch to the gut or you know something j- just to get him doubled over so I can put him in in position for for the power bomb. By about the uh, fifth and sixth time of of going through the motions, I could really feel that it was it was it was starting to become a you know an issue. I was starting to get winded. I was starting to get tired, you know, continuously trying to pick him up. And I mean, he was, he was a solid dude, you know, straight muscle. And, um, I, I, uh, we, we got to that seventh power bomb and, uh, it didn't, it didn't occur to me or him at, you know, at also at this time that we kept, I kept, you know, slamming him or power bombing him in the same, the exact same spot in the ring. And th- this was not your official wrestling ring. This was a makeshift structure. And the actual floor of the ring were uh, banquet tables, wooden banquet tables that we uh, used from the hall and we duct taped and put a thin layer of padding over top and then a tarp over that to to cover it up. Uh, and I we kept going, you know, I knew, you know, generally speaking, that the center of the ring is where you want to be when you're doing any kind of high-impact moves. Because the further out from the center that you go, the stiffer the the structure becomes and that's true with any professional wrestling ring that's why you know any anytime i'm watching a monday night raw or smackdown or nxt or a pay-per-view or things of this nature anytime there's any kind of of significant bumps on the ring apron like right on the outside of the ropes i cringe because there is no give in that part of the ring at all uh, there may be a thin layer of padding, but I mean that's it. That's kind of what we were r- running into with this ring that we had. And at no point, up until we got to the seventh power bomb, did he say, "I think there's a problem with the ring." And you know, I was like, "Well, that's fine with me because I am not sure I can get you up." for the the eighth one you know i'm kind of kind of dragging that part out i mean i think we 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 didn't have a full-blown conversation you know it was very short it was very short but enough to know what each other was talking about i uh i i got back to my feet and he said one more one more and i did and he got a kick to the gut. He doubled over. I picked him up, power bombed him for the eighth time. 
At which point, I just I I crumbled to the ring because I was just so exhausted. My legs and my back felt like they were on legitimate fire, and um, I told the ref, you know, we need to start taking this home. So I I went over to make to make the pin, and I told him that we need to start taking home. So he kicked out of the pinfall attempt. And his fan base lost their minds. Somehow or another, man, this guy got up. He, he, was, sh- he was shaking the ropes. He was running around the ring in circles. Hits a few clotheslines, the shoulder tackle, big body splash, one, two, three. The match is over. And a new MWO champion was crowned for the first time in the history of the company that the heavyweight title had changed hands from a defending champion to a, a, a challenger. Um, so we got done with our match. We went to the back and, uh, the follow the, the next match was the tournament finals and it was gross Bauer against Shiro Nagami who would become Grossbauer's probably number two top rival, especially in that time. And they were fighting for the Great Lakes Championship, the vacant championship. And uh, Grossbauer, uh, you know, won, and he come back to the, the dressing room area, and he's like, man, I think we broke the ring. And so we... <laughs> We waited until everybody filed out of the town hall, and when we started pulling back the tarp and the padding, because of all the power bombs that the maniac and I did, we blew a huge ass hole through the tables to the point to where you could see the actual floor of the town hall through through the ring. And, you know, he and I, Maniac and I, uh, we, we were just astounded. And, and I kept asking him, are you, you know, are you feeling all right? He's like, yeah, I feel great. No problem. And, uh, so, you know, as the, as the promoter, I'm thinking, well, we've got the heavyweight title on the Maniac and we're going to start building up, you know, his storylines and his challengers and things of this nature. And, uh. You know, it was right around that time that we decided that we were going to do the the Christmas show, and he uh, it was the next morning. Uh, he gave me a call and he said, "I I think I'm injured. I can't move." I'm like, "Well, what do you mean you can't move?" He's like, "I li- I literally am laying here in bed and I cannot get out of bed. Everything in, from my from my lower neck down to my waist hurts." And I was like, oh, shit. And, uh, you know, we figured that it was just, you know, muscle spasms. You know, the adrenaline had worn off. And um, I believe at the time he was living with his his sister or I'm not really sure. I feel like his parents had moved out to Emily City by, by that point. Uh, so he was sharing the house in Lapeer with his sisters. And, um, they had brought him some aspirin and things of this nature. And I was like, well, just, you know, take it easy and call me back later. Well, he wound up having to go to the hospital because 
his back just would not loosen up. And we figured, okay, you know, we weren't running weekly shows. We weren't even running shows twice a month. So we we figured we had enough time between the 4th of July and December the 22nd to get him healed up, to get him programmed with, with an opponent and start building it with promos and appearances without having to actually have him physically wrestle in a match. As we got closer to December, it was probably in the middle of, of November, he he had to make the decision. He's like, there's no way I can do this. I, I know I can't. I'm not going to be able... I'm not going to be well enough to to defend the title in the main event and this, that, and the other. And he says, I think we need to hold the title up and have a fatal four-way with the four top challengers to to determine who the, who the next champion was going to be. Now, we knew based on the success of our match and the feedback that we got from it that eventually uh, we, we were gearing towards Maniac Basher 2 for WrestleRama 2, in, uh, in which case I would get the title back. But uh, with him not being able to perform, um, he made the decision for the betterment of the company that he was going to vacate the championship and just take time off. Sadly, um, he really never wrestled another match after July 4, 1995. And that is the one thing that I feel absolutely terrible about because that's, that's on me. You know, I powerbombed that dude eight times in a row, blew a hole through the ring and, and messed his back up to the point to where, and he's had back problems, at, at, you know, ever since then. <clears throat> so that we knew going into Christmas class, we had to crown a new MWO champion. It seemed like an appropriate backdrop with this historic Supercard premiere. We were going to have a fatal four-way for the uh, for the title. It would be myself. It would be Soda Sims. It would be Shiro Nagami, and it would be um, who would become Pure Fury Jeff Klaus. And I eventually I wound up. Um, through the course of eliminations, it came down to Jeff and I, and um, I wound up defeating him in the in the final fall to recapture the MWO title. Now, for Christmas Clash, we had our hardcore fan base, but we also, you know, they brought friends, they brought family. I bet you we had almost a hundred people in in uh, in the in the center building on on that night. And so they, you know, we were really on to something here. In the very early goings of the organization, there was no doubt that it was going to be a, a, a success to some degree because people were following our, our storylines. They actually, I, at the time, I was writing and publishing and printing um, a monthly newsletter and people were actually sending me money to get copies of the newsletter. So I had like a subscription service on a very small scale for our newsletters for people to keep up on the storylines. 
And, uh, you know, they turned out for the, the 95 Christmas Clash, December the 22nd of 1995. Uh, another um, no, notable uh, piece of news, piece of history that came from that show was um, it was at that event that um, the uh, the technical tandem, which was tag team made up of two guys who called themselves the moneymaker and wild thing metal mouth because he had a mouthful of braces uh would actually uh, would win the mwo tag team championship from a very popular tag team you may have heard me mention their names before but fireball and pitchfork they were they were collectively known as the demons of war, the original incarnation of the demons of war. So it really set uh, the technical tandem out. You know, it really made them as in in terms of being a legitimate tag team. And I'm here to tell you, the heat that they got from defeating the the almighty demons of war was off the charts man they they did not like that decision whatsoever but in turn they they would come back and um you know they would uh, the demons of war would win back the mwo uh, tag team titles and you know and then but at the same time a, a new tag team was made another um piece of history that's that's somewhat noteworthy is um, that was the debut of Skulls. Uh, and Skulls was never intended to be a um, a long-term gimmick. It was strictly to fill a spot on the card because we had a no-call, no-show against a wrestler who called himself Storm Diamond. Now, we were really kind of making the effort to push Storm Diamond as Grossbauer's next legitimate contender for the MWO Great Lakes Championship. A good-looking kid, um, basic athletic background, played baseball, played football. Um, you know, he looked like an athlete to, to some degree. And, uh, you know, we had very, very high expectations for Storm Diamond. Uh, he was scheduled to take on another guy who uh, failed to show up to the building that day. And we actually, and this is going to be funny to, to some of you, especially if, if you listen to Bruce Pritchard's podcast, Something to Wrestle. And... Uh, on that on, on Bruce's show, you've heard about a box of gimmicks. It's a running gag, right? In the MWO, we literally had a box of gimmicks. And what that was, was it was a tote that had, oh, I mean, a potpourri of, of different apparel. Shorts and sweatpants and spandex and tank tops and ski masks, gloves, um, just, you know, assorted Halloween costumes. Um, in that box of gimmicks would be what would become the first incarnation of Skulls. And like I said, it was, 
it was really supposed to be a one-off. It was supposed to be, you know, a gimmick to give St- Storm Diamond a victory to to set his course uh, to start challenging Grossbauer, uh, presumably at WrestleRama two in in '96. Um, but it's one of those things, man. It happened very very organically. And, um, it just, it really, it blew all of us away. It's the exact same mask that Skulls uses to this day. And, um, from, from the chin down was different, but the mask was the same. And he had a very similar looking wide brim hat that Skulls wears now when he goes to the ring. Skulls, to this day, 25 years later, is currently co-holder of the MWO Tag Team titles with the creature feature, John Campbell. And um, it started, the, the Skull story started at the 1995 Christmas Clash. And when he came out, um, you know, back then we weren't really, um, there were, things were so much different. We, we, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have Facebook and Twitter and social media and, and, and all that stuff. And, uh, so we were very, you know, we recorded, we, we videotaped our shows and stuff, but the, we weren't, did, we weren't putting them out for public, you know, viewing or, or, or distribution. It was simply a, um, um, you know, for our our own benefit, just to go back on what worked, what didn't work. So we would use real songs that we liked as our walkout themes. And for Skulls, we chose the song Hell's Bells by ACDC. I'm a huge ACDC fan. They're my favorite rock and roll band. To this day, uh, you know, love ACDC. I just, I've always had a great appreciation for their music. So we decided to use Hell's Bells for Skulls' entrance music. And I am here to tell you the reaction that Skulls got when he walked through the curtain and was walking towards the ring at the Lapeer County Center building on that night shifted our focus to... We're not really we're we're not we're not going to use skulls as a one-off. Um, so we made the audible de- decision that instead of Storm Diamond having a five-minute squash match against a guy with a skeleton mask, we were going to put skulls over. And when you look back, when I look back, that really can be traced to the beginning of the downward spiral of Storm Diamond's time with the MWO. He was very pissed off that I made the, the decision to put Skulls over in that match. Um, but I listened to the crowd. And that's why I made the, the decision that I made. you know, And I had the support of the majority of the roster. 
that I made the right the the right decision because Tim or 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 the guy that played Storm Diamond, he was a decent guy, but he put a hell of a lot more more stock into himself as a person than apparently I did into his character. He looked like an athlete. I knew he would have a a decent program with with Todd Grossbauer, but he didn't garner the kind of reaction that Skulls did. Now, now Storm Diamond was a babyface gimmick, but you would have swore that Skulls was the hero of the match when he come out and people saw him. Now, during the course of that match, and this this could have this could have gone one way or the other, but uh, there w- there was a situation during the match to where uh, Skulls hit Storm with a head with a headbutt, and 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 Diamond had kind of flopped himself back to take to take the back bump, but when he did. You know he ele- he elevated he threw his feet into the air, but he was so close to skulls that the top of his foot um, went between the uprights. You you know what I'm saying? I mean I mean you you <laughs> you could hear it from the locker room first the thud and then the reaction from skulls. That, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Man, drop that dude down to his knees. <laughs> we weren't sure if uh if he was getting back up for for a cu- for a couple of seconds there. Like it was a legitimate straight on nut shot, man. Just I mean <laughs> I'll never forget that. I'll I'll never forget that. And cause we were kind of peeking you know, through the curtain, you know, I was standing on one side, my brother was, was next to me, and, and Jeff turns around, he's like, man, he's, he's, he's going to be feeling that in the morning, (laughs) but, uh, God, you know, when you, when, when you think of humble beginnings of, of a gimmick, for our organization anyway, uh, that's probably my favorite story to tell, because, you know, what started off as being a one-night-only gimmick squash match victim, had, you know, wound up becoming one of, them, one of the more iconic gimmicks, one of the more iconic and more popular characters, uh, and in a lot of regards, one of the more pr- protected gimmicks in the history of the MWO. And uh, it... Uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny when you think about it. You know, what could have been? You know, what what if we had gone the other route with it? What what if we had uh you know, st- still stuck with Storm Diamond would would we would he have had the the career in the MWO that Skulls did? I would argue probably not. Uh just because of what you know, the Skulls story is uh very guarded, very protected in in our company. And I think that what that's what makes him one of the more unique characters 
gimmicks, wrestlers, or superstars in the history of our company. And it started 25 years ago today. You know, it's crazy to think about. Um, all in all, the, 90, the 95 Christmas Clash had uh, six matches on it. It had a run time of about two hours, just over two hours. Uh, had a very good crowd on hand. Um, a couple of titles had changed hands. And, you know, we came away from the Lapeer County Center building feeling very good about the show and knowing without a shadow of a doubt that this was going to become a um, an annual tradition for our, our company. And, um, you know, up until this year, it, you know, Christmas Clash was a uh, was a staple uh, for the wrestlers in the company on a pro- on a professional level and for me personally um, because it was you know it was t- traditionally and this is the one thing that had always been was the last live event of any given year and um, you know later on during the course of of Christmas Clash history. You know, I would incorporate a year-end, like, Christmas party. You know, this really became prominent when uh, we had moved over to, over to Terry's Lounge for that six-year block of time. Uh, Christmas class was always at Terry's because we had a, uh, a huge uh, a Christmas party after the show. And it was, in some regards, it was... You know, I I looked forward just as much to Christmas Clash as I did for WrestleRama, but it was more on a personal level, whereas WrestleRama was more on the professional front. But um, it all started on this day, December the 22nd, 1995. And, um, you know, it took a global pandemic to throw a wrench into the, the, the lineage of... Uh, the second longest running annual supercard in Michigan wrestling organization history, and uh, I know I kind of did a lot of a lot on, on on the backstory, and I had actually thought about, um, you know, focusing on two installments of of Christmas Clash on this episode of the podcast, but my goodness gracious, I I look at at the runtime that we're at right now, and I'm about at the fifty-three minute mark on this, but uh, so I think what what I'll do is I will I I will save the other Christmas clash on, that happened on December the twenty-second. This would be in the year two thousand and one. Uh, there's a lot of meat on that bone too, so I think uh, we will save that for a for its own its own topic. Uh, because I think it's it's very much very it it deserves its own episode I I think because we don't want to you know you guys don't want to sit here and, and and listen to me talk for nonstop two hours you know that's that's been proven so uh, but what what we are going to do here uh, we are going to take a real quick break and uh, we will come back to put a bow on this episode. Uh, on, of this week's episode 
and a, a couple of final thoughts as we head into Christmas this week and on the brink of a new year. So, so stick around. More of the Klaus to the Heart podcast is right after this. Hey everybody, this is the hitman Brett Fortney. And I'm Todd Gilbert. Join us every Wednesday night exclusively on Solid State Radio for Hanging with the Hitman. Every week we'll be discussing music, movies, pop culture, current events, basically anything that's going on or anything that comes to mind. So turn it up, come hang with us. There's no better place to hang than with the hitman. Available exclusively on SolidStateRadio.net or the Solid State Radio app. Available on all Android and iOS devices. Toodles. Ladies and gentlemen, make your plans to spend part of your Christmas Eve morning with Jason Klaus for a very special edition of the Klaus to the Heart show on YouTube. It's the Klaus to the Heart Christmas special with live musical performances from Todd Gilbert as well as other big surprises in store. Tune in this Thursday morning at 9 a.m. on the Close to the Heart channel on YouTube.com. And welcome back to the Close to the Heart podcast powered by Anchor.fm. And as you just heard, we have a, a very special edition of the Close to the Heart show on YouTube that is going to premiere this Thursday, that's Christmas Eve morning at 9 a.m. And I, I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited about this particular episode. It was most definitely a family affair as we, you know, try to celebrate Christmas, try to, uh, you know, have a, a little bit of a lighter content for for this upcoming episode. And uh, I'm pretty pleased with with the way everything turned out. In, you know, in in filming it, and you know, with the editing process and things of this nature, um, it wasn't exactly what I had in mind. But I'm very pleased with with the end result. And uh, it's not too terribly long. I think it's about forty minute runtime. Uh, but it does premiere on Christmas Eve morning at 9 a.m. And if you're not available to watch the live premiere, as it were, um, it will be available on demand. And uh, you you can check it out, you know, whenever it, it's convenient for you. Now, Friday is Christmas. And they call this the most wonderful time of the year. And for me... You know, this has has always been the time of year that I really look forward to the most because I get such a rush, such a kick out of, you know, showing my friends and my family how much I appreciate them by, you know, by... by by giving presents, of course, but, you know, just, you know, the little things to show my appreciation for them and for what they do and for what they mean to me in, in my personal life. Obviously this year is, you know, 
there is a sense of heaviness, right? And, uh, you know, a lot of us are going through that this year. We, you know, with the, with the pandemic and, you know, all these different challenges and things in place that have made 2020 nothing short of a shit show, um, you know, this year is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a lot different. I mean, let's let's not let's not kid one another. It's for a lot of us, the you know, this holiday season is being met with dread, and and I am right there. And I've gone way overboard this year, <laughs> uh, trying to compensate for you know the heaviness that I feel in my heart, and and I know a lot of you you know, are going through something similar. You've, you know, you've had to deal with different, you know, setbacks and challenges and things of this nature. And, uh, you know, it makes this time of year something of, of a struggle, of a challenge. Uh, it seems like, you know, for my family in, in particular, the last, you know, several years has been met with something. You know, we've lost, you know, a few very prominent, very important members of our family. And, um, you know, this year, you know, having lost my brother and, and everything that has gone on with that, it just, uh, if for nothing else, it has really put the spirit of the holidays in perspective. And it has really... Um, forced me to really reevaluate the entire season and how I approached it this year. And because of that, you know, like I said, I've gone way overboard, but a lot of that is to keep myself occupied, is to keep myself busy. Um, I have always maintained that it's not necessarily the amount that is on the price tag of a particular gift, but rather you know, how much of your individual heart went into it. You know, um, several of the gifts that I'm giving this year are are very, very personal. They, um, you know, they weren't necessarily bought at a store. It could have been a painting that I did, a drawing that I did, uh, d different crafts that, that I did for um, a lot of my friends at work. I uh, sat and, and designed, um, you know, T-shirts for them. Um, you know, those who who know me know that I I delve into screen printing. So I I I designed a couple of new shirts and printed those for my friends at work. And uh, for all intent, I actually could you know handed those out last week. But um, you know. It makes me feel good that they appreciate, you know, the effort that, that went into that because you're not going to find my shirts in stores. Well, at least not yet anyway. <laughs> well, we'll see what uh, 2021 brings. But that's another story for another time. Um, my point, folks, is, it, you know, the most meaningful gifts don't necessarily have to come from a store. The most meaningful gifts come from your heart. And it could be something as simple as writing a heartfelt letter that expresses your love, your admiration, your appreciation for those in your life. 
It could be a craft. It could be a painting. It could be a drawing. It could be anything that comes from your heart. Something that you worked on, something that you designed, something that you know you put your time and effort into creating with the thought of the of the recipient at the forefront. I went that route this year, and I can tell you um, that you know so far it has been met with um, overwhelming su- success for the lack of better term. you know it, it wasn't like they opened up their gifts and like, oh Jesus, what 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 a five year old draw this? Nothing like that because they know that it was something that I took the time to do personally for them. And, um, you know, that's really at, at, at the core of it, at the core of the holiday season. It's not about what you get. It's about what you give. And it could be something as, as easy as spending some time with somebody. Either if you can't do it in person, you do it on, on the phone or through, you know, Skype or Zoom or FaceTime or anything like that. It could even just be a phone call just to spend some time to communicate with those people who are very important to you. Um, You know, just let them know what they mean to you. I've said it once, I'll say it again, and I've said it a thousand times. Our tomorrows are never guaranteed. And, you know, we never we never really take that into into consideration a whole lot of, of our time we uh it's you know especially this year man it, a, a lot of things have been put in in perspective whether we wanted it to or not it's just that's life and life is the one of the most precious things that we have right now and uh you know, we never know when that final bell rings. We never know when our time is, is called. And, uh, you know, that's why I am very much an advocate of maximizing your minutes. You know, and this is this is something that, that I actually go into detail and, and, and we'll talk about this week on, on the Klaus to the Heart Christmas special that premieres on Christmas Eve morning. But uh, I just wanted wanted to uh, you know take a couple of minutes here this week on the podcast, um, you know, kind of kind of share some thoughts, some 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 similar thoughts. If you don't watch the YouTube show, well, then you've you've heard it here on the podcast. But above all else, I you know let me take this moment to just express my gratitude, my appreciation for each and every one of you that take time out of your week every single week to listen to the show or to watch me on YouTube. I I certainly appreciate it. And um you know, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep doing things and trying things to make this as enjoyable of an experience for all parties, me, you, you know, all of us, you know, because as long as long as you're digging what I'm doing, I'm going to keep doing it. And um so with that um, you can check us out, you know, everything under the Klaus to the Heart umbrella is on our official website, klaustotheheart.net. Uh, you, you can send us an email at klaustotheheart at gmail.com, or you can uh, find us on Facebook. Just look for 
Klaus to the heart. So with that, I'd like to wish you and yours a very happy, a very healthy, a safe, um, very Merry Christmas. And uh, I want to send my best to you, to yours, and hope that this holiday um, is one that brings you some good memories, heartfelt memories. And uh, with that, be awesome to yourselves and to each other. And we will see you right back here next week with a brand new episode of the Klaus to the Heart podcast, powered by Anchor.fm.